You're listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast with Davina Frederick. Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with Diana Mayer, founder and CEO of Mayer Law Group. Mayor Law Group is an employment and privacy law practice that provides legal advice to employers. The firm was founded on the idea that the workplace could be the means for effective social and personal change, one happy employee at a time. And it's a philosophy that Diana models in her own joyful law firm. So we're super excited to have you here today, Diana. Thanks so much for being on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. Sure. Thank you for having me. Great. So I want to start out with getting to know you and and helping our audience to get to know you and kind of your journey to becoming an attorney and then ultimately to creating your own law firm. So why don't you start out sharing that with us? Sure. So I had probably a pretty unconventional journey to become an attorney because I grew up, both my parents are lawyers and neither Mm -hmm. of them was madly in love with the law. Although my dad taught law for probably 40 years and did love that. Mm -hmm. But neither of them particularly enjoyed practicing that much. Um, I guess guess my dad liked it for a while, but um, for the last mm, 35 years or so, he's done something totally different. And so I always swore I would never go to law school. But out of college, I got involved into politics. I went to college in Washington, D.C. And I had great, great jobs right out of college. I went to work for a lobbying organization, and then I went to work for Henry Waxman in Congress as his foreign policy uh, legislative aide. And I just, I got to see everything from the policy perspective. And I also saw that what I really missed was working with people directly one-on-one. And I thought a lot about going to school and getting a PsyD degree or getting an LCSW. But at the end of the day, I just, I knew my personality and I knew that I might get frustrated in that role, that I might want to feel I had a little more muscle kind of behind my degree, like not, those are very effective ways to create change. But I, I knew sort of from the policy perspective, and if I wanted to go down that road, that I probably needed another avenue as well. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I would do public interest law and work with employee, you know, work with people that way. And so I mm-hmm. actually did go to law school for that purpose and came, came out of law school and was a public defender for several years before I went into employment law. And, and that was a, a really gratifying career. And overall, I think it was the right choice, but it was a very roundabout path to get there. Mm-hmm. What made you choose to go into employment law after working as a public defender for so many years? Well, I I loved, loved, loved my job at the PD, but it was just not a very sustainable position for me for a number of reasons. Mostly just it was very hard for me to have boundaries around that job. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to start a family and things like that or, you know, wanted to get married and, and have a family. And I I knew that the rate I was going, that was not going to happen because I was so invested in my work. So I thought about getting into civil law, but I couldn't imagine anything that would be nearly as exciting as criminal defense work. 
Mm-hmm. And the thing that I was really passionate about, other than what I was doing, was women's rights. And I thought, oh, great, I'm going to go and prosecute sexual harassment cases. And I can sort of further the causes I care so strongly about. And so that was my intention when I went into it. And originally, I actually did do plaintiff's work for many years. But then, of course, I got into that work and I realized that it wasn't black or white, that the issues were actually very gray, that it was very rare. I had a case where I had an employer that was clearly a bad actor, an employee that was totally, you know, not not without blame. Mm-hmm. And and so pretty soon I just thought, I, you know, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just putting more litigation in the world. I'm not sure that this is what I really want to do. So then I sort of transitioned over more preventative non-litigation, but kind of employer defense side. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it was, it was, again, that was, that was roundabout too, but it started from <clears throat> my social justice, my interest in social justice and thinking that this would be a forum from which I could stay really engaged with that work. Yeah. Yeah. What I, yeah. What I love about your journey and your story so far is that you really have chosen very thoughtfully what it is that you wanted to do and and but also with a listening to your heart you know mm-hmm. you really following a passion and and thinking about okay how can i how can i make this way that i feel this passion that i have for social justice and then how can i take it and build my career strategically that way and so i i love that discussion and i want to talk about uh, mayor law group and kind of the way that you the way that you practice law now um, there are a couple of things that really intrigued me one is that you have an all-female firm and I want to talk mm-hmm. about that because I think a lot of women listening to this will want to hear about that and that came about because you were really seeking to cr- help other women lawyers create a more satisfying career experience as a lawyer. So what kind of precipitated that? Having an all women firm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't totally intentional, but it, it, I think it was about designing a firm that fit with my values. And I think my values as a lawyer in a lot of ways do not fit with the very patriarchal current legal system. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I mean, I just, I, I don't mean the people in it. I mean, the whole infrastructure is, is very kind of young and male based. There's not, there's not a lot of room for feminine values right now. And, and I, that just didn't appeal to me. And that wasn't the kind of law firm I wanted to have. And so I naturally attracted women who either had families or, or just wanted some, some balance in their lives. I think for some reason, women, I mean, certainly part of it is the childbearing thing, but I think even women that don't have kids just are much more in touch by and large, you know, ma- major overgeneralization, but by and large are in touch with their need for balance in ways that I think a lot of times men in the law don't right. don't clue into. So I've just, I've always been attracting that kind of uh, person. And I, you know, I have had I have interviewed at times men that I thought might be a really good fit. Usually it was just the experience wasn't right, but the personality and what they wanted was a fit, but they were not the most conventional lawyer, male lawyers in the world either. So 
Right. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and it's been great to be all women because there's, of course, ways of interacting, things we talk about that would probably be foreign to a lot of men. Right, right. It that was that was one of the reasons that with my uh, coaching women law firm owners business, I when I first started um, doing this, I worked with men as well as women. But I eventually niched down to women because I found that when I gathered us in a group, it was a very different dynamic when we had men and women in the room versus when we had just women in the room. And the conversations were different. Yeah. Um, and it was a place for, you know, so that you create a place where women can have discussions about things that, you know, men just can't relate to, you know, because of the way our culture is set up, you know? Um, yeah. So, so what were some of the, what are some of the, uh, I know one of the driving factors for you in how you serve your clients and how, what you try to do in your own business is really creating joy and happiness you you want people to be satisfied you want your clients to create businesses where their their employees are satisfied and you want to model that and create that in your own business so tell me some of the ways that you think people can do that yeah well i think one thing is is perspective right like not seeing everything as a zero-sum game seeing seeing that you can come up with solutions that are win-win and now that that is the model we try to take to employers that making your employees happy is good for you. It's not you if you give them these rights, those are rights that you're taking away from yourself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we well there's a number of things I, I that I do, some of which were completely intentional and some of which weren't. We have a very non bureaucratic process in the firm. Everyone has a voice and everyone's really important. And I try to make people feel really important everybody Mm -hmm. for what their role is. And I think that I also hire people that have that same perspective. So there's no clear delineation between, you know, this, this role is not more important than this role. And we also have, so, and we, and I, and I try to have maintain very honest and open communications with people. I, you know, last night I had a, or yesterday I had a long meeting with my, all my employees. And I said something at the end um, that I wasn't, it, we were talking about some social justice issues and I really just didn't like the way I put something. And you know, these are issues I really care about. And so I wrote everyone an apology and just said, you know, I said this, I really, you know, I apologize if I offended anyone. What I meant was this. I didn't get, there was no negative reaction at the time, but I just right. thought about it. And I thought, oh, that was not my best self or my best moment. And and I, I was very conscious about it's, it's a good thing for me, me to be able to go to my employees and apologize and to be really honest and candid. I want them to feel like they can do the same thing if they ever feel like they make mistakes. Right. And yeah, and, and we just, you know, and I just try to be, I try to listen to them. Last year, we circulated every year I do a, a, a upwards review. So I have kind of admin and associates review me and whoever, you know, as a partner uh, at the time and give us feedback. And, uh, and I, and I try to take that in last year, it was people said they really were ready to, to have benefits. And even though, you know, we're not the highest grossing law firm in the year in the, in the world, because we, we have ridiculously low billable hours, there's really no billable hour requirement, but 
people aim for a certain amount of hours. The, um, I tried to roll that out and, and we did it, you know, now this year with the climate being what it is, you know, it, it, it's uh, tough to be maintaining those costs and everything else, but I'm, I, I've yet to cut those because I think they're really important. And I, you know, I rolled out a whole bunch of insurance dental and life and disability, long-term disability. And I just thought, yeah, mm-hmm. this makes, this goes with what I'm trying to do. So this, this makes sense. This should be a cost that we put the bill in, even if it means people will get paid a little bit less. Right, right. So that let's, let's talk about that a little bit more, um, that there's, that there is a bit of a trade-off in some of the um, flexibility, the no billable hour requirement. You, you know, it's all it's all women, and you've created a very you've created a lot of autonomy for them and a lot of flexibility, and and kind of not made it such a driving like we have to work all these hours to earn all this money and it's money goals and this is what it's all about. You've created something that's more enjoyable so people can do the work and that they enjoy and get compensated for it, but it may not be top dollar. And what yeah, is that absolutely. trade-off like? Well, it's interesting. I, I think it's different for different people. I mean, I think that it's probably easier for the moms in my you know, of my employees. I find that just generally they've been First of all, they've been practicing law a lot longer a lot of times, and they've been at corporate firms or they've done, you know, I have a, a woman who's a partner now with me who was a GC for many years, and, and they've, you know, she would get up and drive an hour to her job and an hour home and work long hours, and so it's a no-brainer, you know, it's like, okay, I'm making less money, but I'm so much happier, and I have so much better balance, and I get to see my kids so much more. I think it's maybe a little harder for the younger attorneys. Um, I, I just, and it's an interesting phenomenon too, because what I see is that, so we, you know, we have a lot of times people bill at most, say 20 hours a week, you know, out of a, and, and most people work, don't work more than 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And, and what I see is that then there kind of becomes this, you know, well, I, um, you know, I got my four hours in today, you know, that sort of, I'm done. Like I, there's, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to create a sense of like, oh, this is, this is so great. I worked, um, you know, I only am billing this much. I mean, definitely there's, I think there's a lot of appreciation for what the firm offers uh, and the flexibility and the fact that I really don't micromanage anyone. But I also see that you sort of a little bit, you know, there, there's, there are trade-offs and that you create Uh a culture around it. And then you can't just tr- you can't just turn to people and say, okay, we really need to earn money now. Let's all increase our billables even by an hour and a half. There's a lot of resistance to that. People are right. used to the way their day works and what they think they can bill. Um, so it's it's a lot of letting go, and it's a lot of just sometimes facing facts. Like there's no way I can pay nearly what big firms pay. Now I have had a lot of attorneys tell me that looking at the time that they put in, they actually make more with me. They get paid more considering that they're probably working half the hours that they, that they worked in a corporate firm or a third less hours. So, I mean, there's still lawyers and they're still, you know, paid well, but it's just not, not going to be anything like what they'd make in a corporate firm and not even like, you know, a lot of small firms, they do have billable requirements, 30, 35 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at significantly less than that. So yeah. It, yeah. It, it is, 
and and what I see is that for the younger attorneys in particular, it can be a source of frustration that they they really like the work and they like what we're doing, but they want to make more money, and it's just not really the place to do that. Right. Um, right. There's mechanisms so they can. I've tried to set up mechanisms so people can do that, like bonus plans based on work brought in and and hours. But what I find, like I said, is that you know even though I have set something up where if you maybe you bill more than 20 hours a week, you start getting a significant portion of what you're billing as a bonus. Mm-hmm. People haven't really taken advantage of it. It's really interesting. So, that is interesting. That is yeah. interesting. And some so, of it is that things can be slow, but even when times are really busy, I don't really see people going, okay, great. I'm going to knock out an eight hour billable day. Yeah. 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 Well, it's a comfort level. You know, we rise to the right. level of our comfort. <laughs> and, then, right. and then once we have to, you know, if we if we say, okay, I want this, I have to shift into being uncomfortable. And I think it's really what, um, what challenges a lot of people with regard to growth of their firms and people who don't have this set out with this intentionality, but maybe they create their own firm because they want their moms and they want to have flexibility and all that. And then they feel sort of capped in the amount of money that they're making and they could make more, but it's going to require, it's going to require more work, more effort or, or more bodies or something. I mean, there's gotta be a way to produce the, the woman hours, you know, that we need. Right. So it's, that's, it's interesting that, that you have created this model though. And you, you have a lot of, you know, you have a good amount of attorneys working for you and uh, who probably were at something else has become a priority in their lives at this point. Like you said, with maybe some of the moms or it, it could be somebody for some other reason. It could be a parent, you know, that they need to spend more time with or, or whatever reason. Um, and, and so they're making this choice. It's kind of a deliberate choice that they're making yeah. for thing. Yeah. So, um, you, all, you started something called joy in the law. Am I getting that right? Mm-hmm. Joy in the law. Yeah. Tell yeah. me what that is. Yeah. So joy in the law was, so I, I started a all female, um, women lawyer kind of networking group. Actually, that's not true. I didn't, I didn't start it. It was, um, there was a online group called Loco Perennis in the Bay Area that is great. It's women lawyers that are either pregnant or have children. Mm-hmm. And we get on there and confer about all kinds of issues. Anyway, I, so I said that I wanted to get a Marin chapter. And so, and eventually we just basically became our own group of women lawyers in Marin or had some affiliation with Marin and for networking purposes. Mm-hmm. And then I went, I, I've always been really interested in meditation. And one of my favorite meditation teachers teaches a course called Awakening Joy. It's an mm-hmm. online course that's offered every year. And, um, and he has a book by the same name. And I was just getting very into that. I took a, re- I did a retreat on Awakening Joy. And when I, was on that retreat, I thought a lot about how incredibly lucky I feel that as an attorney, I've really enjoyed what I've done almost without exception. And I know that that is not the case for a lot of lawyers. Mm. And I just, I came back from that retreat and I just thought, gosh, lawyers need this. They really need to know how to generate more joy. And I came back from that retreat and I said to our group, what, what do you think about doing a conference on joy in the law 
and they liked, really liked that idea. And that was maybe late May or early June. And I said, okay, look, great. Let's do it in September. I had no idea what I was, what I was about to take on and ended up kind of taking a life of its own. It was a tremendous amount of work, but then we started that conference. And then at one point, one of the members of our group said, why don't we call ourselves join law? You know, like this is the, this has become really our mission. This is what we're working on. Why don't we call ourselves join the law? And I thought it was a great idea. And so then their groups became join the law groups and it's just kind of had its own momentum. One of my employees at the time started a San Francisco chapter of it <clears throat> And now she no longer works for me, but they still meet regulars. She leads that group. I'm, uh, we, you know, we still have a, we, we meet, we have meetings now they're online. And, um, I'm actually, I was, we were just talking about doing, so I do the conference every other year and we were just talking about whether we were going to do it this fall or whether we were going to put it off a little bit. So there will be another conference. And, and then I also was realizing that I was going to maybe try out a kind of a coaching program of joy in the law, because that's another sort of passion of mine. I thought it might be really neat to take a deep dive with some of these women if they were interested and to get into the topics that we, we explore on these calls. Right, right. So I, <clears throat> I think that's so interesting and fits right in with your, fits right in with what you're trying to create in your own firm um, is, you know, so, so uh, it's sort of a legacy of traditional law firms in a patriarchal society, you know, that law firms are about driving, you know, always driving and working and it's a badge of honor for you know, how much you can work. And it's also kind of, you know, it's kind of a legacy of the eighties too. If people grew up and had a career in the eighties and have that sort of, you know, that's the mindset we had then was uh, in, whether you were in financial services or law or, whatever, right? It was always about right. how much you work um, was really a badge of honor and work we just became a work culture. And so we still, we see that so much in, in traditional law firms and big law firms. And so this is, uh, it's a very different way of approaching it. You're finding, we're finding so many uh, women. I don't know if you read the um, report walking out the door, uh, it was published by the ABA, but it taught that it examines the place of women partners in law firms and how so many of them in their 50s are quitting big law. They may be partners, but they're quitting because they're finding they're just not happy. They're not satisfied uh, because they haven't had the same type of support as, as their male counterparts and mentorship and the same pay and the same benefits and bonuses and things like that. And so I think we are seeing a lot of women lawyers now who are they're graduating from law school and they're starting their own practices, maybe because there aren't jobs available, maybe because they have young families or they want to start families and they want to have more autonomy and control of their time. But I think this, we're really starting to see a paradigm shift, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of grassroots and a lot of it may be happening because all that's happening in our economy and culture, you know, new generations coming along uh, and they have the tools available to create virtual law firms, you know, which allows right. them the flexibility to work from anywhere and work with clients and meet with clients in different ways. And clients are accustomed to receiving communication and communicating with people through 
phones and right. videos and mm-hmm. all of that. So there's a big shift that's kind of happening. And I think so much of it is around what you've tapped into people looking for a way to do this engaging work that we love, but yep. not sacrifice our health and our families at the altar of it. Yep. I, I agree. I, I mean, to me, it's a kind of a, it's a kind of insanity. I, I don't know if you read in the join the law, we talked a lot about an article that came out. Was it, which, who did it? Maybe it was a New York times front New York times page article about a lawyer and that died of an overdose uh, in Silicon Valley. And it was written by his ex-wife. Did you see that article? No, I didn't. I'll have to go back and look at that. It was fascinating. It was basically all about that, you know, this was a a lovely man who was a very involved, wanted to be a very involved dad and um, husband at the time. You know, they were divorced, but he was still, they were on cordial terms, but he worked like a dog, basically. And he would take all, you know, he would take uppers, basically, to have the energy and time to do what he wanted to do, try and be there occasionally for the kids and his wife. And um, also just to, to keep up with the demands of his job. And, and eventually he kind of miscalculated whatever he was using and, and died. Um, and it, it just, to me, I think for a lot of us just really brought home how, and that's what the article was basically about was kind of how mm. insane it was and how, what his life was like. And, you know, and I, I feel like, you know, my father practiced corporate law growing up. I, he was not in a huge firm, but a sizable firm. And he was a tax attorney. My dad was around. I mean, he, he never missed any of my performances or he, he was home for dinner most nights. Now, maybe that was because my father has always been really uh, a wonderful father and that's a huge priority for him but I don't think so. I mean th- that's part of it but I, I don't remember that at that time in my life hearing about other people that were working you know basically not sleeping and working around the clock it just didn't seem like it was as acceptable as a model and now and I just think it's yeah it's kind of a, a temporary insanity that I'm hoping will pass partially I think we're going to have to do away with the billable hour because it's a setup when you're way of acquiring wealth is based on how much you work then right. and not on the value you know you're generating then then it's all about you got to work crazy hours if you want to get rich and but yeah and then i think that kind of people get in that cycle and they even though maybe over time they care less about being rich they're just so stuck in the cycle that they don't really know how to get out of it right right i was listening to an interview with um Uh, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, who wrote Breaking Money Silence, she's in the financial uh, industry world, and she was interviewing someone on her podcast of the same name, Breaking Money Silence. And the person she was interviewing was a very uh, prosperous financial advisor, and she was very wealthy as a result of the work, but she said a self-described workaholic. And she was saying that Now that she's older, she's having a lot of health problems because Mm -hmm. of her prioritizing work to such a degree. And and so she's starting to rethink, (laughs) you know, her Mm -hmm. life and her choices. 
And <clears throat> so, you know, this podcast is Wealthy Woman Lawyer. We're obviously focused on helping women uh, create more wealth in their lives. Uh, but the what's behind the creating more wealth is being able to um, being able to really live a life that makes you happy. And, right. and so that your needs are met. And what I find with a lot of women solos who go out and start their own practices is they don't have the enough of the business skills that they need. So they're really not making enough money to take care of the basic survive long-term survival goals and much less aspirational goals that they may have for themselves and their families because they don't take it to a business level. You know, they're, they become sort of freelance lawyers. And so I'm working to kind of help them change that. But the ultimate goal is so you can do things like afford retirement and afford, you know, get, get rid of those student loans and be able to buy your house and, and do those things that we have to have money to do in this society. But at the same time, mm-hmm. there has to be a balance and you, you have to, uh, realize that life there's that you can have a lot of joy in life around things that don't involve money mm-hmm. you know absolutely <clears throat> so there right. is a balance. It's all about right absolutely it's all about what you know what's your view of abundance right um mm-hmm. and i mean i don't want to disparage i know there are lawyers that work 80 hours a week and they love what they do so if that's the thing that floats your boat great but i just think it, it shouldn't be the default model. It shouldn't be mm-hmm. something that people are forced into unless for whatever reason, that's just what works for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So tell me about your the work you do with your clients because I know that um, you, you're an employment law attorney and you work with employers and you also help them with privacy law matters. What kind, In what way... Um, based on the culture of your firm and the way you work, in what way are you able to take that and work in working with your clients and serve them in a, in a, in a way that may be different from other employment law attorneys? Yeah. So a lot of times it comes down to fairly subtle things, but for example, we had a case recently where an issue where we were advising someone and they had an employee that they liked a lot and didn't want to let go of, but she had been out. I can't remember exactly what was going on, but she had been out on leave for quite some time. And eventually they decided they, and they, they had been good to her, but eventually they decided they needed to, they didn't know when she was going to be back at work. And they decided that they were going to have to write her a letter saying, essentially, we're going to have to part ways. But, you know, when you're, when you're well again, you know, please, or you, you feel ready to work, um, please, you know, get in touch and we'll, we'll take you back. And, but the way the letter was written, I just didn't feel like it conveyed a lot of compassion for mm-hmm. how difficult a situation she was in. And so I, I rewrote the letter as a, te- it was an email, actually, I rewrote it. And then I sent it to them. And I said, you know, you don't have to take what I've said here. This is not legal advice per se. I said, but I do truly believe that I said, but I think that you feel these things. um, And I think that it could be better reflected in the letter. And I, I also do think at the end of the day, this is the kind of thing that 
cuts down on lawsuits because so much of lawsuits is about people not feeling heard or not being feel not feeling like they've been treated like a human being. I mean, nobody nobody wants to go in a lawsuit. It's it's just the only muscle a lot of people feel like they have. So there's a lot of times like that where I'll suggest maybe a nuanced response or someone asks me for advice and I'll say, um, okay, here are three different options, more risky, less risky, you know, kind of talking about their, their tolerance for risk. But then I will definitely talk about what is sort of best for the employees and for the, for the, the company overall. And again, just continuing to remind them that, that thinking in these holistic terms will, will be good for them. And I mean, that's, that's what I have found time and time again, is that, you know, the places that have are good to their employees and reflect that and what they do um, have incredible success and are recognizing and generate incredible loyalty. So um, that is, you know, those are some of the more subtle ways. I mean, the other thing is that we simply, when people inquire about this, I now send out a sheet called What to Know About When Working with MLG, Mayor Law Group, MLG. And it basically says, look, we're not your conventional law firm. If you're looking for a firm that is going to give you kind of the CYA bottom line um, conservative piece of advice that uh, doesn't really take into account employees, and we're not that firm. You know, we, we have a different approach, um, you know, where you look to work with employers that really care about the well-being of their employees, on and on. And I, I... And, you know, and just please, like, we're happy to help you find the right person, but we just want to let you know what you're getting into. Right. And I thought when we, when we generated it, I really thought, oh, gosh, we're going to get a lot of people saying this is sorry. That's not why I hired a lawyer. Um, but, you know, what I found is that people write back and say, this is exactly what I'm looking for. I mean, it's been so great. You know, this is ah. to see that. And that I, that is what I think I got in touch with as a plaintiff lawyer and why I just didn't feel right after a while to do it, because I, I am sort of someone who sees the best in everybody. And I would I would see this this attempt to want to do right by the employees and that maybe the employee missed or I thought they had missed. So, you know, I see that and I see that a lot of our employers are really good people and, and want to do right. And they're really happy that um, we give them very candid, very kind of holistic, not just I've had to sort of train out of my, you know, my kind of big firm, white shoe corporate attorneys. I sometimes have to train out of them. This is the bottom line, most conservative point of view that will, you know, I say, no, you want to give them options. You want to, if there's no ethical issue, then you want to be thinking about what their risk tolerance is and kind of how it'll affect the culture overall. Um, But I've had to sort of train out, like, this is just, there's sort of one bottom line and it's like, this is the most conservative thing to do. Right. So let me ask you this, as an employer, because I, I know a lot of women Law firm owners are discussing their own um, as they're growing, they're hiring, and then they're having to fire people, transition them out, you know, whatever. And and it's become a real challenge for many of them because while they themselves created their firm because they wanted some flexibility and freedom and autonomy and those kinds of things, they're hiring people to whom they can delegate that they want to be there reliably certain hours and, and that kind of thing. And why is it, ha- why is it important 
to focus on how on, on creating a culture of ha- you know one happy employee at a time, even in how we let them go. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it just makes everything better. You know, I think it just you know it there's more transparency. I mean, I think when you when you put out there. Well, so I, I, one of, I'm a big fan of a book called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. If you haven't read it, it's a really interesting What's book. What's the name of it again? It's, it's called Radical, Radical Candor, C-A-N-D-O-R, oh, yes. by Kim Scott. And I really recommend it. She's a super smart uh, exec who, you know, she worked with Sheryl Sandberg. She's, she's, got, she's been at all the top places. And she's incredibly lovely. Like you can just tell she's incredibly thoughtful and she very much has kind of the, uh, a woman's eye on this stuff. And, um, one of the things she talks about is that, you know, that there is this way that you, if you really care about your employees, for example, one of the things she talks about is you don't sugarcoat, you know, finding this fine line between not sugarcoating. In other words, you've got to have the gumption. To, to be really candid with someone about how serious a certain problem might be from your perspective. And you have to own that it's from your perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the other hand, you know, you don't want to go into being um, harmful. And, you know, so finding that line and kind of talking about different cultures where we've swayed one, one way or the other. But one of the things she talks about is that when you put that out there, you know, all kinds of good things come from it, that when you're, when you're, you know, part of being a part of radical candor is you have to first get the employee has to believe that you truly care about them. And not just as an employee, but as a person on the whole, because mm-hmm. they're not going to, they're not going to take your feedback in your critical feedback in if they don't believe you're doing it in their best interest. So I think that's just one example of the ways that, you know, having employees and, and I'm not saying it's perfect. Like I, you know, I've had, I've had, you know, one or two employees where I felt like nothing I did really could. I just, I just didn't, I, at the end of the day, I just didn't think the firm was a fit. And it was like, I felt like there was nothing that I could do that really would make them super happy. And, or maybe law wasn't a fit. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can come up, but, um, but I think they probably knew, I hope they knew that I always cared. And I, I, I would ask, you know, I've asked people a lot of, I felt people haven't been happy um, I've had a number of employees that before they left, I sat, I, I preemptively sat down with them and said, basically, what can I do to keep you on? You know, this is what I'm seeing and I, uh, I want to keep you on. So I think it, 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 it lends an air of, there can be an air of transparency. There is trust generated. We can have real conversations. You can give, things are more efficient because you can give feedback and it can be taken in. And I think it's just a much more enjoyable place to work. And if you enjoy where you're working, you know, you don't mind working hard and you don't, and you want to stick around. Um, So I think there's so many, so many reasons to do it, but those are just some, I mean, of course, for me, the biggest reason is just practicing what I preach. And this is something I truly believe in. Right. And realizing I'm never going to do this perfectly, but this is my intention and I want to put it out there every day. This is my intention and try to live up to it. Yeah. I, when you were talking about that, it brought to mind, I have a mentor of mine said, you know, you're, when it, when you know that a, uh, a person can no longer, that you're dissatisfied with the, with the 
working relationship that you have with them in your firm. And you're actually doing them a disservice if you're, if you're not frank with them and letting them go because you have already decided that there is no more opportunity within your firm for them. Yeah. And you're, it's a kindness really to say, Mm -hmm. you know, look, we're at the end of the road here and I'm going to, you know, we're going to part ways because this is going to give you an opportunity to go on and find something where it's a better fit for you as well. So there, there is a kindness in, in that. And I think that so many people struggle with um, letting people go because they just feel guilt. Oh my God, it'd be awful if somebody fired me and I was unemployed and they're letting me go, you know, and it, and so they keep people around longer. And when you do that, it creates actually more unhappiness for everyone within your firm. Absolutely. So and that's, that's one of the things Kim Scott talks about in her book that I just love it. She says, you know, there's a, it's a very humble perspective, but realizing that not every job is for every person and realizing that just because one person sucks at the job that you might have them in, they're going to be excellent at something else. And so mm-hmm. um, just, you know, having like being open to that and having that conversation and saying, look, I don't think this is the right job for you. I think you have these skills. And, you know, um, and she said that she it, she's had so many conversations like that. And they were always incredibly hard. But so many employees came back to thank her years later and just said that was like, that was the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. But again, but I don't, again, you can't do that. I mean, this her book starts out with a story of how she had this great, this rock star employee that when he came to work for her, just could not do the job. And she sugarcoated, sugarcoated until finally she fired him. And then he was flabbergasted. Like it felt like out of the blue. And so she was just talking about, she didn't have the guts to basically give the feedback and how, what a disservice it was to him. I think that can be challenging for women. I mean, you know, like again, with a great overgeneralization, I think that can be challenging for a lot of women because, uh, you know, we, because we, afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. We're nurturers. We, we were told, you know, to be nice or whatever. I mean, in the culture right. I've grown up in, in the South in the deep South in the United States, you know, you're, you're, you're to be pleasing and, and, right. and tack, you know, and have a lot of tact and sugarcoat things and you get catch more flies with honey and all of that. So retraining your brain to, say, you know, I can be direct and, and it's okay. And it's okay. If somebody gets mad, it's all right. If somebody gets mad, I'm not responsible for, you know, somebody else's feelings and, and, you know, emotions. So it's an interesting, mm-hmm. it's definitely an interesting topic. Um, yeah. But we'll, we'll move, move on to something else. Cause I do want to cover what uh, something else with you before we get reached the end of the hour here. And that is, you have your core values mm-hmm. on your site. And I, uh, I'm something I'm always talking with my clients about is the importance of really getting clear on your core values. That's like a number one priority because then everyone you hire, every client you work with, you can tell very quickly what whether or not it's going to be a good relationship or not because you can tell if their core values align with yours and core values are really kind of deal breakers um for us yep. you know this is this is what we hold so dear um so why was it important to you to put that on your website and 
were you is was it pretty easy for you to sort of come up with your core values yeah it wasn't that i mean we've refined them and refined them over the years but mm-hmm. it was in that we just basically sat down and brainstormed we had the help of a great coach heather hubbard who i know you know mm-hmm. who um who just completely serendipitously was we found her and she at the time her coaching practice was you know and she's a she's been a a top lawyer and all of that and now was was coaching women on business development and and kind of having the career of their dreams and she it was something about joy the language of joy was her was her brand for a while um and so when she came to work with us I flew her out to work with us for a weekend and kind of get do some goal setting strategy for the year. She talked to us about knowing what our core values were, and so we and the, and we just sat down and we just agreed. You know, oh yeah, we all it's just a given. We all really express a lot of appreciation for one another. We love that when we get that from our clients. We really try and give our clients that. So we just, it was pretty easy, but it was just kind of refining it over the years um, and, and just sort of make, making sure they still, they still feel uh, relevant and, and reflect. And, it, you know, in terms of putting it on the website, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to remember what, why I did that. I think it was partially just because I thought it was such an important part of, part of how we ran and how we functioned that. I thought it was important for people to know that, you know, this is where we come from and this is, this is the perspective you're going to get. And, uh, and it also, it's just like everything else. It's a reminder to us that these are the things that we want to use in our day-to-day interaction. Right. Right. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think it's, um, it's one of the things when I'm working with my clients, I recommend that they create their core values and that they publish them everywhere. They hang them up in the office. You know, if they have an office, put them on a, you know, frame that and put it up. And so people, so your prospective clients can see that. Um, and your clients can see that and your employees can see that as a daily reminder and put it on your website. And because I think that really communicates who you are and your brand and what you believe in and what you stand for. And you're more likely to attract those, those team members and clients that are, that's going to resonate with that. These are going to resonate with, you know, yeah. so you'll be, yeah. it's part of happiness. You know, you'll be more happier in what you're doing. If you're working more with people who are, you know, also share these values and are like-minded in that way. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I think it's so important. And I and I noticed, you know, it's one of the things that you had on your website. I'm like, oh, well, this does not surprise me because you are, you know, so rooted in this concept and philosophy of creating a joyful law, law firm, a joyful work experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really appreciate you being here today and um, sharing with us. Uh, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. How can we find out more information about you and the firm and how can we connect with you? Yeah, so uh, I'll just give you, I'll start with the, so the firm URLs or it's mayorlawgroup.com and there's um, a lot of information there and it's M-A-I-E-R lawgroup.com mirrorlawgroup.com and I we have all kinds of stuff there free resources and blog and 
things like this podcast will go up there eventually. And then if you want to learn more about Joy in the Law, it's just joyinthelaw.com. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you can always email me directly, Diana, D-I-A-N-A, at MerrillLawGroup.com if you want to, you know, ask, ask me questions or you want to join Joy in the Law or anything like that. And uh, those are, and then we, you know, we have all the, we have a, a, we have a LinkedIn presence and we have various social media presence, presence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, Great. Um, yeah. But those are the main ways. And it looks like there are links on the website to that too. So if they go to the website, yeah. they can probably link to your you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those kinds of things. Um, well, I really appreciate you being here and sharing with us today. I think you've um, provided a, a different perspective for our audience and give them some things to think about in their own practice and what they want to create. And they can, they can have the type of law firm that they want to create. They don't have, they don't have to be stuck in uh, models that don't work for them or don't fit. So I yeah. thank you so much for being here and sharing. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. At Wealthy Woman Lawyer, we help women law firm owners build profitable, sustainable, wealth-generating law firms without overwork or overwhelm, so you can live your best life. If you are ready to create more of what you desire most in your business and your life, then you'll want to sign up now for our free training, Seven Shifts to Create a Wealth-Generating Law Firm Without Killing Yourself in the Process. Register now at WealthyWomanLawyer.com slash training to receive this free training immediately. And thank you for listening to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast.